This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. Welcome to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, where we examine the financial and business news across the world in a week that's been dominated by meetings, whether on Brexit in Berlin and Paris, central bankers in Jackson Hole, and of course the G7 in Biarritz. I'm Nick Howard, and joining me for our own meeting is Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Erlen. Craig, we'll kick off with Jackson Hole today, if we will. Um, Central bankers gathering in the US in Wyoming. Just set the scene for me. Why is this important and why are we focusing particularly now, perhaps more than um, for the last few years? Well, it's important because we have a large number of central bankers attending this meeting and it's nothing new that we care what central bankers think, whether it's tightening monetary policy through interest rate hikes, bringing an end to unconventional policy like quantitative easing, as we saw with ECB last year, or as we're in the situation we're in now, easing monetary policy through interest rate cuts or other measures in order to try and support an economy at a time when people are fearing recession. When you have a gathering of so many central bankers, that event is always naturally going to draw a lot of attention. Uh, It's also worth noting that in the past, some uh, central bankers, some Fed chairs have used this as a platform to announce um, not necessarily a change, to monetary policy, but maybe an evolution of where they see monetary policy. So back in uh, in the early part of this decade, talking about quantitative easing and things, this was uh, always viewed as an important platform that was utilised uh, for that purpose. So there is a lot of speculation that today we could potentially or hopefully see a shift from Jay Powell. I'm a little bit more sceptical. But just the prospect of that is enough to put people on edge. And at a time in this where we are now, where it's the summer, there's not much going on. Uh, there's not a huge amount of data. Uh, it just puts additional emphasis on the fact that the importance of something like this. And again, as we'll come on to recessions, uh, markets, instability, etc. Um, central banks just become all the more important. And obviously, the pressure is on in terms of monetary policy. But we're getting to the, the bottom of the barrel when it comes to what bankers can do without really looking at some potentially radical policies. So, how much of the pressure will start to return to politicians and the the tools that they have to actually deal with economic growth? Well, that's extremely important. Some central banks have a little bit more room for manoeuvre than others. We've seen interest rate cuts and some uh, 50 basis point cuts uh, when we're talking the RBNZ from a couple of central banks that still had um, room for interest rate cuts post-financial crisis. There's others like the ECB where they seem to have exhausted not just interest rate cuts because interest rates are in negative territory, but also quantitative easing. It seems there's going to have to be some tweaks to the frameworks to enable them to uh, actually do more quantitative easing now because they have so few other options on the table. The Fed's in a luxurious position right now whereby it did cut interest rates pretty much to zero during the financial crisis, but over the last couple of years has been raising interest rates while the economy's been doing well, uh, which is, enables it now to be able to interest rate quite aggressively if they need to to support the underlying economy and i think the 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 issue that we have right now is the fed's very reluctant to uh, be cutting interest rates while the economy is still good uh, because it wants to continue to to keep that boosted artillery uh, in the in the event of an actual downturn whereas markets are very much demanding a lot more stimulus and markets are actually pricing in at least two more interest rate cuts this year uh, and even uh, a 50% chance of a third, which is incredible considering we are already in August. That's almost kind of uh, crisis type uh, stimulus, uh, uh, especially given the size of the packages which they have available. And this is the important point now, because as you've alluded to, 
if central banks, who have been known now for the last decade as the only game in town because of the reluctance of uh, of governments to actually stimulate the economy because of the high debt loads, um, if they're running out of tools in order to effectively, because I think that's the key word, it's the effectiveness. You can cut interest rates, but we were talking about last month about the ECB cutting interest rates by 0.1%. What is that actually going to achieve? I'd argue very little, and the damaging effects could actually be greater than the beneficial impact. I think the emphasis now is shifting back to governments and saying, yes, you may have high debt loads, and a lot of work has been done on reform over the last decade and fiscal austerity, etc., to try and improve your position. But right now, we've now exhausted the central banks, and they can no longer be the only game in town if we want to effectively uh, change uh, the economy and, rebo and reboost the economy. So now we're seeing a lot more focus on governments and i think that's what makes the g7 this weekend uh, so interesting because that is uh, i believe one of the topics which is going to be discussed germany there's touted the prospect of a 50 billion euro uh, stimulus package uh, but maybe not just yet if the economy falls into recession trump of course has uh, has been very much in favor of fiscal stimulus boris johnson here in the uk in the event of a no deal brexit has talked about fiscal stimulus as well so maybe there has been a, a slight shift in mindset and now governments are really realising that they are the ones that have to do more. And with the price of um, uh, government debt falling so heavily, is this now the, the right time to actually be borrowing? Because apart from anything else, it feels like we've been talking about that for several years. Um, I mean, we have been talking about it for, for several years. Um, and I think they, they, there has long been an argument that while interest rates are so low, this is the time when governments should be borrowing. There has been a reluctance because debt loads increased so much after the financial crisis. It's this catch-22. There's never been a better time to borrow, uh, but at the same time, it's probably the worst time to be borrowing and just continuing to ramp up your debt levels. But I feel like over the last decade, the governments have felt like there is another alternative in the form of the central banks who can reduce interest rates and try and stimulate the economy through allowing people to have a few extra pounds in their pockets from be it lower mortgage repayments, etc. Um, and also borrow money if they need to in order to try and stimulate themselves. Whereas that is no longer the case. So now, again, as you say, look at the German third, the German bond market right now. The yield curve, which effectively maps out borrowing costs across the entire range of bonds which they uh, sell to private investors from one month through to 30 years, is now in negative territory, which means, the Ger which means Germany is effectively being paid to borrow for 30 years. You've, it's hard to argue how it's not the perfect time uh, to be borrowing money to fund the kind of infrastructure projects which people have been craving now for the last decade. And it's not when people say infrastructure, you automatically think, oh, well, building buildings, roads, airports, rail networks, uh, things which improve um, the, the things that you see in the economy. But infrastructure actually now relates to other things that can try and drive economic growth in the future. A lot of focus, for example, on the 5G networks. If you can improve improve uh, networks uh, and you can improve people's ability to work, then you can improve, improve um, you, you can improve people's ability to do their jobs. And we know that productivity has been a massive thing, particularly in the UK, but very much elsewhere as well, that has lagged for quite some time now. So this is the time, I think, to be now investing in that infrastructure to support the economy right now at a time when we are seeing a slowdown and risk of recession, but also provide that infrastructure for the future to enable us to continue to grow uh, uh, going forward where we have lacked that over the last decade.
Potential flashpoints around the world include some countries which will be thinking of all this talk of taking on more debt with, uh, well, with a sense of uh, possibly fury or irony. I'm thinking of Argentina, Italy, both countries which have borrowed heavily and have been criticised for it. Why are you watching them? So these are countries that have... uh political issues of their own um so we look at somewhere like argentina right now and it's very much being come back into focus obviously when you see a stock market selling off by 50 percent in a day uh, you're seeing your currency uh, devalue at an absolutely remarkable rate then it's naturally going to draw attention and this is an economy which is already suffering heavily with inflation uh, and therefore has raised interest rates to again a phenomenal level i think it's around 60 percent in order to try and stave that off well the primary elections which effectively were non-binding that we, we haven't seen a change of leadership at this moment in time but they showed that actually it was the the, the opponent um who who was effectively whose party was in power um, up to uh, around four or five years ago, who is very much quite clearly leading in the polls. The problem with that is it's that party that is seen to have got this economy in trouble to begin with. We had uh, Macri who came in on the promise of reforms, of uh, effectively becoming a pro-business, pro-world um, government. Um, and the issue that they've had there is that the job, the task at hand was enormous. Uh, and he's had to undertake some policies. He's not got everything right. He's very much in many ways stuck to his promise. The problem is the economic benefits have not followed. So this is an economy where we are seeing very high levels of poverty, where we have seen extremely high levels of inflation. We've seen an IMF bailout package, which the IMF isn't exactly popular uh, in Argentina. And now the voting public has turned its, has decided, do you know what? You've not really delivered on what you promised. I don't feel any better off as a result. And now they're looking back at an old regime. This old regime is very, very much not market friendly. And the fallout that we've seen from that in the markets has been quite extreme. The question is now, Macri now has two or three months to try and turn this poll, uh, these polls around. The market reaction may actually help him because he may be able to now turn to the Argentinian public and say, do you know what? I know that we feel we haven't we haven't uh, delivered on our promises. Here's some fiscal um, uh, stimulus measures which we can try and help to support the economy. The IMF will probably be on board because they do not want to see a return to the old regime either. And the markets will rebound if you re-elect me. Whereas if you do not re-elect me and you put the old party back in power, then we could see an awful lot more turmoil, an awful lot more inflation, and things will get a lot worse uh, rather than get better. Um, this is just one example we're also seeing obviously as you've mentioned political instability in italy we're seeing political instability in various other countries as well and i think the italian situation is is extremely interesting because we've spoken about this before uh, political stability and italy are not two things that have typically gone hand in hand in the past um but right now, what we've actually seen is we've seen a coalition of a far right party and a far left party. Um, and there's two things which they really do have in common. One is the need for more fiscal stimulus in the country. But this is a country that has extremely high levels of debt, the second highest in Europe behind Greece, um, and uh, is very much um, being had its hands tied by Brussels to reduce debt rather than increase debt, uh, which is what both parties want to do. So they're both anti-EU in many facts, in many senses. But how they want to go about resolving this crisis, they have very different ideas and they have very different ideas with other infrastructure projects, etc. as well, which has created this situation right now where the government has collapsed, where Salvini of the League has uh, called for the uh, has effectively 
pulled the rug from underneath the government and forced uh, Conte to uh, resign his post. Now, other parties have uh, a couple of weeks um, to try and form a new coalition government. Otherwise, we are headed back to the polls in the autumn. So Conte, obviously, being a, um, a professor who was brought into politics as a, um, a prime minister, effectively seen as something of a puppet to the two vice presidents, the leaders of the, uh, the two coalition parties. If there is to be an election, perhaps at the end of this year or the beginning of the next, as you say, the coalition governments and potential political instability is nothing new to Italy. I mean, is this something that markets will take heed of? So it's interesting. The market's initial reaction to this instability, the prospect of a government collapse, uh, was quite negative. And I think there's been a bit of a change of attitude um, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, And the reason being that the, this idea that, well, actually, do you know what? This may be seen as a short-term negative, but it could deliver something a little bit more positive going forward. That could be in the form of a uh, a new government coalition without the need for an election containing the Five Star Movement and the centre-left Democratic Party with maybe a few independents thrown in there to make up the numbers. Well, that in itself would hopefully create a more stable government because they are to the left side of politics. They'll probably have more uh, a lot more in common in terms of how to try and stimulate and drive the economy more so than a far left party and a far, far right party. Um, the alternative, if they can't come to an agreement, because they didn't come to an agreement after the initial election last year, uh, would be a new election. And again, no one wants to see new elections again in Italy. We seem to see this year in, year out. But with Salvini leading so far in the polls at this moment in time, and he, is, of course, is a far right leader, then it seems likely that he would be able to form uh, a coalition government with other far right parties. Uh, and again, whatever your political beliefs, this creates some form of consistency within the group, which could le- will enable them to be, uh, to have a more focused uh, approach to um, to the to to what they want to achieve. Of course, I still think they're going to face difficulty when it comes to this when it comes to the standoff with Brussels, and they've lost any credibility which they would have otherwise had because the promises which they made to enable them to loosen um, their purse strings a little bit last year has been lost because they said that economic growth would effectively enable them to to do what they want to do what they said. The EU was very sceptical that these levels of economic growth could be achieved and they thought they were very ambitious targets and the EU has proven to be more than right. So will it allow them to uh, to do the same again? I would argue probably not. So I think any either side is going to face difficulty, but you can't argue with the fact that there's probably going to be more political stability of a left-leaning coalition or a right-leaning coalition rather than this grand coalition of the far right and the far left. I do question whether the Five Star Movement can really be described as a far-left group. I think, if anything, Italy shows the the, the rise of uh, populism versus perhaps technocracy and uh, the collapse of you know labels like left and right. It's, it, it seems as though they've re- uh, they have less and less resonance with actual um, parties. Um, but just to move on, I mean, looking ahead to next week, Craig, is there anything else that we should actually be keeping an eye out for? Well, next week's very quiet. It, politics is such a massive driver for the market right now um, understandably when you're talking about the prospect of a global recession you're doing you, you, you're talking about that because of a trade war which has escalated quite significantly over the last few months you're talking about the risk for brexit and no deal and what that will do to the uk but also various countries within europe um, when you're in argentina italy we've talked we've touched on all of these things these are ongoing issues that are continuing to be very much at the forefront of of, of investors mindsets and therefore the key drivers in markets we're also in the summer months so again it's very quiet. There's no central bank meetings of note next week. There's very few central bank speakers. In fact, a lot of them we'll probably hear from uh, today. We've got a couple of data points which maybe will attract a little bit of attention towards the back end of the week. Things like uh, the US.
US revised GDP figure for the second quarter, uh, inflation uh, data, the core PC price index, which is the Fed's preferred measure of inflation, which is topical uh, at this moment in time, and income and spending data. But broadly speaking, I think it's going to be a very quiet week on the non-political front. But as I say, in, in, the, in these times of political chaos um it, you don't necessarily need much more because markets are very volatile uh, and very sensitive at this moment in time because of the political situations and i think that's going to continue to be the case for the next week but also beyond fair enough that is oanda senior market analyst craig Earlham joining me for the oanda market insights podcast this is available from itunes and all the other places where podcasts live let's be honest things won't get too much quieter as craig says on the political front so we'll keep you up to date Join us again next week. That was the Oanda podcast from the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am, listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.